Hey everyone, welcome uh, to our last lesson in our second week of our Who Am I Discipleship module. One thing we forgot to do earlier on is show you some of the resources that we are leaning on as we create this class. Uh, first off is this book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. I know some of you have also read it. It is a thick book, it is a big book, it's heavily philosophical, but it does an outstanding job of tracing some of the cultural currents that led us to the conception of the, the modern self that we're unpacking in, in this series. It's a great book. Probably its biggest limitation for us is that it doesn't really provide much in the way of critique or alternative uh, to this me-centered culture. And so in order to help us with that, another book that I highly recommend is called God, Freedom, and Human Dignity by Ron Highfield. The subtitle is Embracing a God-Centered Identity in a Me-Centered World. You can see where we got the inspiration uh, for the title for this course. Uh, this book does an outstanding job. If there's just one book I'd encourage you to read through this, it would be this one, where for the first half of the book, he unpacks the modern self, and the second half of the book, he gives us a beautiful alternative in a God-centered identity. Well, today we're going to explore how the modern self is plastic. Now, when I use that term, I don't mean that we're literally plastic, but using it in the way that the Oxford Dictionary lists for its second definition of the word, easily shaped or molded. Today, our identities are easily shaped and molded. As Wes showed us in the first week, our identities were originally rooted in God. We were made in His image, and this provided a solid foundation for our identity, something that would anchor our hearts. But remember how Adam and Eve's fall led to an unshackling of ourselves from that God-given identity in order to pursue our own identity, to become like God. And so Adam and Eve go on that identity quest by eating that forbidden fruit that would elevate their existence to a higher plane. The serpent promised that if Eve ate it, she would gain a greater knowledge. And after she ate, were the serpent's words true? If you remember the story, did she in fact learn something? Well, yes, she did, but it wasn't what she expected. Suddenly, Eve and Adam, who was with her, experienced something they never had experienced before, a new sensation, but it wasn't a good one, <laughs> nakedness, and with that, shame. Ed Welch writes, For Adam and Eve, the sense of nakedness dominated. They hoped fig leaves would cover, but they had an uncomfortable feeling the leaves might be invisible. So they hid too, just in case. Hiding, covering up, self-protection, feeling exposed. They are telltale signs of shame. This is a key point. When we push off our God-given identity, it leaves this great void that needs to be filled in our lives. But all that we can do is essentially fashion fig leaves to cover it. It is a new identity, but one that does not get to the root of our problems. And so many of our modern identity quests are really just attempts to try to cover this deeper sense of shame and emptiness that we all feel. Adam and Eve, though, bought that lie. They thought, oh, this thing will give me something greater than what I have now. And they get it, only to discover how hollow it is. And before long, they're going to be looking for something else that offers that same promise, hoping, well, maybe this time it'll be different. And that story has been repeating itself through human history. We all jump from one thing 
to another. Oh, this will finally fill that hole in my heart, that emptiness in my soul. This relationship, this new house, this new place to live, these kids, whatever it might be, this job. But it doesn't take too long to realize that that thing may cover some of that emptiness, but it doesn't fill it. And before long, we're running to hide and look for something else. And perhaps there's never been a time like today when people are willing to try on new identities with the ease of trying on a couple different pairs of jeans in the dressing room. Carl Truman writes about this when he says, the desire for consumption never seems to be met by the act of possession. The consumer society really does present persons whose being is in the becoming constantly looking to the next purchase that will bring about that elusive personal wholeness. And this consumerism doesn't just show up in our shopping, but it really shows up in our whole society, that we are consumers of new identities, that we believe that we can recreate who we are, and no one on the outside can tell us what we should or shouldn't do. Truman goes on to describe how another philosopher, Nietzsche, Uh, helped build some of the foundation for this. He was this famous atheist philosopher who understood the incredible implications of a society that no longer believed in God. He wrote, in killing God, you take on the responsibility, the terrifying responsibility of being God yourself, of becoming the author of your own knowledge and your own ethics. You make yourself the creator of your world. And while it took a hundred plus years from Nietzsche, we find ourselves now living in that world where self-creation is the norm. And so when we live in an age when self-creation is believed to be the way to achieve that elusive happiness, freedom becomes kind of our essential and fundamental right so that any laws, religious or cultural expectations, whatever it might be, they, ones that restrict one's ability for self-creation, well, they are seen as oppressive, right? This is keeping you from your true happiness if you set limits on saying who I can or cannot be. But this leads to a problem because when desire is believed to be the map in leading you to find your true identity, the issue is that we don't really understand that our desires are infinite. And so when you go on that identity quest, you're going on a quest or following a map that has no ending. And you doom yourself to never finding a place to rest your heart. Because desire will always say there's something more over that next hill. See, desire is the symptom of something that is deeper. Desire tells us that Oh, fig leaves will fix that new feeling of shame that you have. But desire doesn't go deeper than that. Why do you have that feeling of shame? Desire is like this murky lake where the hidden, the the real issues are hidden deep below the water and you can't see them. All you can see is what comes to the surface and the desires. And we get a sense of this because our desires are all over the map. And sometimes our desires are even contradictory, right? I want to lose some weight, but I also want to eat this pint of ice cream. How do we know what are our truest desires? Ron Highfield points this out when he writes, our immediate wants 
do not reliably give us self-knowledge. Of course, we know what we want while we feel our desire for it. But, a feeling, but feeling a desire does not guarantee that it arises from our deepest self so that fulfilling it will give an expression to our true identity and never be regretted. On the contrary, our desires, wishes, and daydreams pull us in a thousand directions. They contradict each other and put us at odds with ourselves and with the fabric of reality. I cannot be all those selves clamoring for satisfaction. So which is my true self? You see, in our modern society, desire has become our roadmap to fulfillment. But as I said, when that is your map, when that is your guide, it leads you on a never-ending quest where you'll never find rest for your soul. And that brings us to a good stopping point. When desires are our guide, we're no better than a dog chasing his own tail. We'll never get there. And as Herman Bovink wrote, in this consists the greatness and the miserableness of man. He longs for truth and is false by nature. He yearns for rest and throws himself from one diversion upon another. He pants for permanent and eternal bliss and seizes on the pleasure of a moment. He seeks for God and loses him in the creature. He forsakes the fountain of living waters and hews out broken cisterns that can hold no water. He is a hungry man who dreams that he has eaten. And when he awakes, he finds that his soul is empty. In order to find and discover our true selves, we've got to return to the one who made us, who knows what lies beneath that murky sea of desire and knows what we were made for. In order to find the rest and the happiness that we all look for, we've got to have our identities redeemed by the one who created us. And that is what we're going to explore next week. We'll see you there.